Today on Abounding Grace, consider the far-reaching impact of disputes in church. What he's saying is this suing and taking advantage of one another, defrauding one another, hard issues, actually makes it look like you're not saved. Because the very next thing he says, don't you guys know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? These are attributes of an unrighteous life. And the idea behind this unrighteous life is not an act. It's a lifestyle. This is how you're known. This is what you're living in. No wonder the accusations toward the church at times are spot on. I have come to find that believers can be, that are living an unrighteous life or reflecting an unrighteous life, the world can spot them a mile away. This is amazing grace. As we go through life, we're bound to have our fair share of problems and disputes. When someone does us wrong, the world would tell you, take them to court, sue them. But Pastor Ed Taylor will suggest there's something much more important at stake, and that's God's reputation. We don't want to communicate the wrong message to the unsaved world around us. And so let's see together how to resolve our disputes in a God-honoring manner on abounding grace. In 1 Corinthians 6, here's Pastor Ed. Verse 7, now therefore it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. That's an interesting statement. It's already a failure. By the time you guys file your lawsuit, you've already failed. And I believe this is a heart failure, not a you're going to lose the lawsuit failure. I think it's a heart failure. I think by the time you're unable or unwilling to work through the biblical precepts of solving problems, and, and you want to take your brother to court over small claims, it's already a failure on a lot of different sides. For the person that's been wronged, okay? Because you, you're sitting there and you're like, Ed, it's all good and fine and I receive it, but, but man, I, a brother's ripped me off. And I, I need to make it right. Okay, for that, listen. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why don't you just eat it and learn your lesson? No, I'm going to prove a point, Okay. Why don't you just accept wrong? Why don't you just take it? Why don't you just receive it? I can't answer that question for you in particular. I I, I don't know the circumstances or details, so I'm, I'm not trying to answer it for what's on your heart. I'm just throwing it out for you from the Holy Spirit. It's just a general question. Why can't you accept wrong? Why can't you just take it and understand that these things happen? It's hard, that's why. Number one, <laughs> it's like hard. Sometimes the amount of money is so significant that it could affect your family for a season. It could affect your business. You can go, ban- you could just, you could go bankrupt. You go out of business. You, it, it, I understand we're talking not just small matters but big. But the question that God asks is why can't you accept wrong? I think another reason we can't accept wrong, and let's just say that it's not a money issue, it's just a personality issue, is we're just so selfish. We can't accept wrong because... We don't trust God that he would bring about justice. 
And so we take things and matters into our own hands. I don't personally, Ed Taylor doesn't like to accept wrong. It takes a work of the Spirit of God to accept wrong. I don't like to be wronged. I don't like to accept wrong. And I don't like to repeatedly be wronged. And so the Holy Spirit asks you, why won't you? And, and it really ultimately comes back to when I'm abiding in Jesus and he's my strength and my sufficiency, I'm willing to accept wrong. When I take things into my own hands, when I try to get even, when I assert myself in such a way that brings shame and dishonor to the church, I have a hard time accepting wrong. He says, and secondly, why don't you rather let yourselves be defrauded? The word let yourselves is in italics, you'll notice. When you see words in italics like that, there's only two reasons. One, it's an, a quotation of the Old Testament, or two, the, the translators inserted that in the text to help bring clarity. Sometimes they do a great job, and sometimes they could have done without and just let the Greek... You know, Greek doesn't always translate well into English, so as the translators were sitting down, they were trying to add those words that would help you understand the, the sentence, because if they just translated word for word, it would make no sense. It would even sound backwards. That's why in the old King James, how they tried to be so literal in their interpretation word for word, you'll notice some of the sentences just seem backwards. That's how the Greek is written. It's how the Greek is understood. You know, they, Greeks would read English and say it's backwards. It's just the way language works. So if you took those words out, though, it, they, it works perfectly. So this is a good addition, but if you took them out, it works perfectly. Why do you not rather be defrauded? And a whole host of reasons why we want to bring our own justice about. And you really have two choices in matters of self-defense, and that is, A, you can defend yourself, and God will allow you. Or B, you can step back and allow God to be your defense and watch it all unfold and see him work on your behalf. This really is, this question comes up from time to time, and, and it really is an issue that pops up. We've seen it come through our church. And it's always sad. And the counsel's always the same. It, it, even if it's a money issue, it's always the same. The person that needs to pay, we always say, why won't you just pay? Well, you know, and they always have a reason. We always have a reason. It's not enough. It didn't. And like, okay, why won't you let yourself be defrauded? Uh, I don't know. Well, then just pray about paying it off and moving on. And God can always replace money. If you haven't learned that yet, you need to. He'll always replace money. Money comes and goes. I know it goes more than it comes, but it does. It comes. Money, God can replace money. You business owners, you, those of you that, that, that have uh, the ability to make a lot of money, those of you that, that maybe God even just throws a shift in there to give you overtime, God will always replace money. But a man offended is hard to win back, like a strong tower, the Bible says. It's fortified. It's hard to win friendships back over dollars. It's just, it's really difficult. And so for the person that owes the money, hey, come on, man, just pay. And then the person on the other side, hey, just write it off. Oh, I can't write it off. It's just, why won't you rather? The, the question is the same for both parties. Why won't you just let yourself be defrauded and learn just a little bit of the nature of Jesus Christ? And then, of course, walk in wisdom so that you don't find yourself in that place again. There's like, whoa, that hurt. I don't think I'm going to do that again. Okay. Sometimes it's just simply learning how to require a contract before. 
You know, I know we wish we lived in the, you know, the 1800s when a handshake and a, and a written note on a napkin was enough, but it, it really does require an agreement, a meeting of the minds of what we're doing together. And I think you can add even one more level to this. Those of you that are talented and blessed, those of you that have own businesses and you are incredibly smart in various areas, I'm just going to ask you to consider this. Because we've made this decision here at Calvary that when you call up for biblical counseling or you email a Bible question or you want to download a Bible study off the website, if you start paying attention, you will notice we charge you nothing. Freely we've received, freely we give. And I believe if the church filled with believers on fire for Jesus would adopt a freely you've received, freely give, we would eliminate a lot of this stuff. You just begin to use your gifts and talents unto the Lord. And you'll see, you'll, just, you'll be doing it unto the Lord and it'll bless you. You'll be encouraged. I mean, some of you have years and years and years and years and years of training and education. And you get to the point where you think it's yours. It's mine. I worked hard for it. You probably did. You studied your heart out late nights, cold pizza. You, were, you probably did work hard. But God blessed you, didn't he? You're so smart. We're all jealous of you. You're so smart. Good. And what the world has told us is that's how you make a living. And the Bible says that God will provide. And if we would adopt that among ourselves, just to bless. I'm not advocating you be taken advantage of. or you, When you're led by the Lord, you're just taking, God takes care of you. He takes care of you. And as you have that gifting, you can begin to look at just offering it unto the Lord. And let the Lord lead you. You know, we wouldn't put out any kind of thing of how you do it or what. Just begin praying about it and see what he does and see what he shows you. You begin to appreciate, too, the giftings that God has given you. Maybe in the gifting that you have, it's something you could pass on to someone else. And so part of your ministry is not just donating what the Lord's blessed you with, but you take somebody alongside of you and you give them that same skill, that same gift. Maybe they go out and make a living for themselves and they turn around and start to give away at the same time. It's beautiful. And God will take care of you. He'll watch your back. He'll provide for all of your needs. And I know that 1 Corinthians 6 here would disappear if we'd all adopt that. Just a willingness to be defrauded. That's really hard. That's harder than just learning to donate. But God can do both. And I pray that we, we adopt that. Because we get unbelievers calling here all the time that, that really are desperate for help. And one of the first things that they ask is, I need help, I need help, I need help. And okay, no problem, why don't you come in? The very first question they ask is, how much? And I always say, how much do you have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just lighten it up for you. Part of my heart just grieves. Like, who taught you that a church is going to charge you for that? Who taught you that? Where'd that come from? Like, if I give you any counsel, I'll tell you what, it's not something I made up. It's like the Lord gave it to me. 
Every time I open the Bible, it, co- it doesn't cost me anything to open it up. It's like, here you go. This is what the Bible says. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. And if we could adopt that, it would be, the, the world would be blown away. We're not interested in what you have. I, that, as a church, we're not interested in what you have. You could be a kajillionaire here today, and I'm not interested in your kajillions. I'm interested in you. Because if your heart's right with the Lord, your kajillions will be moved throughout the church the way God wants them. You could be a kajillion dollars in debt right now. And we're not going to look at you any differently. We're going to help you try to dig out of that hole and be faithful with all that you have. Prayerfully, we're going to we're going to, as a leadership and as a church, and you, as even as you're learning, you're going to start to adapt that in your life. We're going to do what James had said. He says, don't you show partiality. It's easy to do. We size people up. We look at them, see what their clothes and whether they're unkempt or not. And, and it's, just, it's just sinful. Jesus sees past all that. And if we have his eyes, we're just going to love people. We're going to give we're going to give, and the Lord's going to bless. You know, we don't give to get. We don't sort of keep a little record and say, okay, God, I've given so many hours. I want you to give that back in a hundredfold. He's like, I can't give you Jesus. What more do you want? You're saved. Your life is right. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your kids. I hear your prayers, God says. What more do you want? Oh, a few hundred dollars. And it's almost like even as I was seeing this scripture come to light this afternoon, it's almost like the Lord will give you your request and then send leanness into your soul. You really want a hundred bucks? Here's a hundred bucks. And now watch how distant you are from me because all you care about is a hundred bucks and not about me. And I'm like, oh. And so when I read 1 Corinthians 6, notice when you, when you and I aren't able to adapt these things in verse 8, he says, instead, we have the temptation for the church. They, they jumped right into it. The temptation is, no, you yourselves do wrong and defraud, and you do these things to your brethren. And the context now of the rest is, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What he's saying here is really heavy duty. That's why I say that it's very stern. What he's saying is this suing and taking advantage of one another, defrauding one another, hard issues, actually makes it look like you're not saved. Because the very next thing he says, don't you guys know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? These are attributes of an unrighteous life. And the idea behind this unrighteous life is not an act. It's a lifestyle. This is how you're known. This is what you're living in. No wonder the world gets confused at the church today. No wonder the accusations toward the church at times are spot on. I have come to find that believers can be, that are living an unrighteous life or reflecting an unrighteous life, the world can spot them a mile away. Sometimes the world can see them longer than before, long before the church does. And he says, ah, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or homosexuals or sodomites. These were all sexual sins prominent in Corinth and prominent among those that are in the church in Corinth. Then he goes on to a whole other list. Thieves or covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. 
He's giving the Corinthians and you and me a history lesson. Because as some of these sins come up, no doubt it reflected your past life, your life outside of Jesus. These sins that corrupted you and you lived in. That if, if it wasn't for the Lord, this is where you'd be right now. And he lists them all together. He doesn't, it's just an, this isn't an exhaustive list of all sins, but those that were relevant to the church in Corinth and no doubt relevant to some of us. I see a few in here and I go, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, those, those types of behaviors, those types of lives will not be in heaven. John writes in Revelation that they're going to be outside, not inside. Not just a spatial comment, but the reality of who dwells in the presence of God. You see, if, if these, are your, these sins or any of the sins listed in the Bible reflect your lifestyle, you can't have it both ways. You can't. You can't say, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, and then go home in some wild, sexual, sinful night. You can't have it both ways. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, but I'm a believer, Ed. What do you believe in? That God okays sin? And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying this kind of stuff, don't don't deceive yourself. This isn't going to mark your life. You're not going to be known by these. Maybe in prior to placing your faith in Jesus, you were known by these. That's just the way it was. You know, the one that stands out to me, for me, is a drunkard. Nobody needed to accuse me of a drunkard. I was already that. And there was proof positive as I was in their presence. My behavior, my actions. My son knew. My wife knew. My parents knew. My neighbors knew. The local police department knew. Everybody knew. I was a drunkard. You didn't need, there was no question. And if in any mind I would come up, and, and I didn't, but if I did have this thought, well, I'm okay with God, this section of scripture is saying, no, you're not. You're not okay with God. It's something to consider that God would bring to your attention. Right? Because when it comes to drunkenness, the Bible's clear. It says, don't be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit, believer. And the same thing could go out to anyone here today that would say, you know what, Ed, that's me right now. I'm a drunkard, and, and I thought I was right with God, but, but maybe I'm not right with God. And then my answer to you is, you know what, maybe you're not. But you can be. You can be right with God. You can't have it both ways. I'm not, just so we can be clear here, even for the sake of the radio, I'm not standing in judgment as God. I don't know whether you're saved or not. That's not my deal. You say you're saved, I'll treat you that way. And I'll hold you to a biblical standard. We looked at that last time. But I bet you, you know better than I do where your heart is with the Lord, with Jesus. If it's just a said faith where you've picked up a whole new set of vocabulary and you started hanging out with Christians, but you haven't changed your lifestyle, to me, that doesn't sound like you've been born again. Because being born again, you know what that means? That you've been born again. And there's a new life. What Paul's going to teach us later is that as a new creation in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so there's a point of demarcation, a change in your life. Does that say that Christians never struggle with stuff? No way. Of course they do. Of course we do. 
Is it to say that old habits or things don't pop up from time to time? Of course they do. You know, that sin's always knocking at the door, tempting us. I mean, if temptations weren't tempting, they wouldn't be temptations. But I'm talking about your life. Not the temptation to do right, but the temptation to do wrong. And Paul just says, did you guys see that the unrighteous isn't, they're not, you're not, there's no eternal inheritance for the unrighteous. And what that tells me as a pastor is that as the gospel goes forth here every week and, and every service, and the high schoolers are getting the gospel tonight, the junior highers are getting the gospel tonight, downstairs in the overflow, they're getting the gospel on the screens. Anybody on the internet's gonna hear the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to live a perfect and holy, righteous life, that he died a horrific death, and he promised eternal life to anyone that would believe in him. And he rose again the third day. And in the power of his resurrection, he still invites you today to come to him, that he's the only way that your sins are forgiven. And you hear that gospel message over and over again. And then what that tells me here in this section of 1 Corinthians is that you can hear that gospel, you can respond to it, and you cannot mean it. And you could leave here with a false assurance that you're saved when you really don't mean it at all. Jesus himself spoke of the condition of the heart when he gave a parable of the sower. And he said, seeds were sown here, and seeds were sown here, and seeds were sown here, and then there was a seed that took root. If we use that as a way of looking at the gospel being sown, because that's what the parable means. The story is about the gospel going out and people's hearts receiving it. If we use his parable as a way to look at evangelism, what that tells me is there's a higher percentage of people that are not real than there are of the people of their hearts where the gospel took root. And one way to look in your own life, whether you're real or not, is if you're living in rebellious, unconfessed, continual sin, and you don't care about it to that person, now or at any time in our walk. You see, that applies to me too. It applies in my life, that I realize my sufficiency is in Jesus. And just because I stand before you and I open a Bible and talk to you doesn't make me saved. Jesus makes me saved. And my faith in him and his, the newness of his life, that saves me. Because you know, friends, that pulpits around the country today are filled with unbelievers that can talk a good talk and put on a good show and they are void and empty, just like the Pharisees of old that Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're so clean on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. That's the heaviness of this. That's the reality here. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. What you heard today is part of our series in 1 Corinthians. Are you interested in hearing it again? Just go online to calvaryco.church. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our apps. Search for Calvary Church Aurora, and you can download both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Each month, Pastor Ed recommends a book that he believes will be of some help to your walk in Christ. And here in the month of May, he's picked out The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. The Holy Land Key is a real eye-opener to little-known aspects of prophecy. You'll learn how God's master plan is revealed in the seven feasts of the Lord and the significant prophetic patterns discovered in the lunar cycle. 
as well as receive glimpses of God's future kingdom as revealed in the stories of well-known figures in the Bible. We'll send this your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryco.church. That's 877-30-GRACE. Those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. We'll leave you to think over this question from Pastor Ed Taylor. One of the things that, that we should leave with tonight is, well, maybe it's just to a select few, but doesn't it bother you to not obey Jesus? Doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it get to the very core of who you are where you're not living according to the newness of life? Doesn't that bother you anymore? Is this conviction of the Holy Spirit so sensitive, so close to you, so that you're staying away from these things, or has it become so far that it just doesn't bother you anymore? Next time on Abounding Grace, be encouraged to glorify God in your body and spirit. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 